Today on Ag News Daily. Next uh, in the progression line would be a high density large square baler. And here in the last few years, uh, an ultra density baler has been brought to the market as well. So we need to tailor heavy twines towards that group of machinery. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Good morning, I should say, ladies and gentlemen, here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell flying solo today, and I suppose this could be my punishment for being gone on the podcast last week. But Tanner and Cassidy are both out today running errands, working, etc. So I'm going to be flying the podcast solo, but don't worry, we've still got a lot of great news coming up here. Well, maybe not great news, but we've got a lot of news to discuss today. It's definitely a hot, balmy day already here in central Iowa. It's about 85 degrees as of this morning when I'm recording the podcast at about 9.30 a.m. central time. And it's going to continue to be hot and dry here for the next couple of weeks as we continue to watch high-pressure systems moving into the Midwest, which also will be, of course, the cause or could be the cause of some storms, thunderstorms, tornado, hailstorms, etc. So folks, be on the watch out for that. It's definitely that time of year. But that's enough on the weather front. We've got to dive into some other news for today because on Wednesday, Ukraine's second biggest port of Mykolaiv has again come under missile attack with at least two grain and vegetable oil terminals hit by missiles, according to local sources. The veg oil terminal Every, owned by Vitera, was said to be on fire following the attack, which was, of course, believed to have followed a Russian missile strike. Now, some local sources are saying that around 70,000 metric tons of oil might have been stored in that terminal at the time of the attack, but no one has been able to confirm those details as of yet. Another site that was said to have been affected is the Green Tour Grain Terminal owned by Bungie, but not clear yet as to whether damage has been sustained and how substantial that damage might have been. If you'll think back, this isn't the first time we've been talking about the Mikulev port as it was under attack back in February. One of the initial strikes there happened on February 24th, and reports are suggesting that, of course, this specific port is the second biggest port and was a very planned attack by Russia as we're trying to see how grain is going to get out of the country. Of course, that's been a continuing point of discussion is how do we get the grain from Ukraine into other areas? And this port is right on the Black Sea region there. And certainly not a great one to see shut down or attacked once again. On the flip side of that, Turkey also says it's investigating claims that Russia has stolen Ukrainian grain that was to be shipped out of ports. Turkey's foreign minister said on Thursday that Ankara was investigating claims made by Ukrainian grain companies that Russia had stolen and shipped their grain to other countries, including Turkey. But they also added that they had not found any evidence as of yet that this was in fact the case. So just one more thing to keep an eye on there, but certainly, you know, a lot of reports and stories are pointing to potentially this 
alleged allegation that Russia has stolen Ukraine grain, but no one has been able to concretely prove that as of yet. So just another interesting piece in that story there as we continue to watch what's coming out of that situation. But Somehow, miraculously, even with all of that going on, retail fertilizer prices have continued to move slightly lower the second full week of June, which is the third week in a row that we've actually seen fertilizer prices, most fertilizer prices, let's put that asterisk in there, most fertilizer prices actually decline in prices. Seven of the eight major fertilizer prices were lower compared to last month, but none down a considerable amount. According to DTN, they designate a significant move as anything more than 5%. So maybe a little too soon to tell if this hot streak is broken for the fertilizer markets, but nonetheless, definitely something to keep an eye on as folks are looking to potentially lock in fertilizer prices for next year. You know, at what point do you say, all right, let's bite the bullet here and do this because it could go very quickly back up the other direction. This could just be a short-term lull, or maybe the trend has broken. Only time will tell. But only time will tell as well as to if avian influenza is done for the year. This year's outbreak of bird flu has been notably now the worst in seven years, but they are following their usual pattern and starting to die off here during the hot weather, which typically kills avian influenza, although the USDA is saying it's too early to declare the threat completely over. So far, we've seen 40 million birds, mostly chickens and turkeys, have died of the viral disease since early February. The most recent outbreak was noted back on June 14th, just a small flock of backyard birds, but still we are seeing periodic small cases still reported. Now, USDA says it's not on high alert, but we should still be cautious and practice extra biosecurity measures, especially as temperatures will eventually start to cool off. They said if things are kind of boiling in the background, we could potentially see cases start to pick back up in the early fall when temperatures start to drop again. So producers need to remain vigilant and review their biosecurity activities. This year's outbreak, as I mentioned there, 40 million birds have also killed about 6% of the egg-laying hens in the nation, and we could still see some spikes at the grocery store. Not only just now inflation, but also potentially egg shortages due to that somewhat noticeable uh, culling of about 6% of the nation's laying hens. I just noticed yesterday at the grocery store that they are still, especially here in Iowa, keeping your wraps on the number of eggs that you can buy. Still only can buy about two dozen eggs at most grocery stores that I've seen here. So I'm curious, listeners, if that's also the case in your neck of the woods. Shoot us a note. Shoot us a picture. Find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Well, one of the last pieces of news that I have to share for today is some additional legislation regarding the cattle and livestock industry. The Senate Agriculture Committee very quickly approved some legislation on Wednesday that would require meat packers to buy a portion of their slaughtered cattle on the cash market, which they say, USDA says, is just one step to ensure fair cattle prices And we also know, as Tanner and Cassidy mentioned last week and again yesterday, 
USDA is also creating a special investigator to enforce fair play rules in the meat industry as well. National Farmers Union and many other ag groups applauded this step in the right direction and said, quote, it's towards fairness for farmers. And after years of unrest among producers, it's good to see we're finally taking a step in the right direction. The House of Representatives also passed a companion meat investigator bill last week, as you know. And that is just one step in many that they're saying still need to happen to create a fair and transparent marketplace for the cattle industry. And I lied, I have one final piece of news here as we head in to take a look at the markets today. Of course, it's hard to believe, but next week we will have the quarterly grain stocks and the acreage report first one since we now probably hopefully have almost all acres completely planted, although we may have a couple of replant acres as we noted yesterday on the podcast. But according to agmarket.net, they're expecting to see for the 2022 growing season the June report to reflect about an 89.7 million acre corn figure, 91 million acres of soybeans, and about 47.4 million acres of all wheat. Fairly in line with where USDA was at last last report. However, they are noting that they think we'll see a slight uptick in potential soybean acres. So only again, we'll see next week, next June 30th, which is, I believe, next Thursday. Yes, next Thursday. So we'll see that acreage report come out, which will be our first glimpse at where USDA pegs us here as of this growing season. But Taking a look at today's markets, we are still continuing to see the sell-off happen. Is this the end of the rally for now? We will get Ted Seifred's take on this on Monday's Market Monday episode. In the meantime, December corn down 32 and a half cents today to close at 661 and a quarter. November, excuse me, not to close, to trade currently at 661 and a quarter. November is sitting down 49 cents as of this morning sitting at 14.27. Wheat down 25 today in the Chicago contract, December contract, uh, trading at 9.79 as of about 9.30 this morning. Livestock are seeing mostly higher in live cattle and feeder cattle, lower today in lean hogs. Still seeing some premium in the lean hog front month contracts with July and August trading above $100. October is... Uh, Quite a discount, though, trading about $92 in the October contract as of this morning. So certainly going to be a lot to talk to Ted Seifert about here in just a few days. But today we have a lot to talk about when it comes to the hay season, which is here and upon us for those of our growers that grow hay. We certainly do. I try to avoid helping with that project as much as possible. It's usually hot my arms get scratched, and to be honest, I'd like to say I'm strong enough to pick up the bales of hay, but I don't always feel that way. Uh, so we'll be talking about hay baling here coming up in just a moment. So with that, let's turn it over to our conversation today with Tama Farm Solutions. Well, folks... We're chatting today with Matthew McWilliams, the Twine Technical Manager for North America with Tama Farm Solutions. Matthew, first of all, thank you so much for joining us today. I've got to ask, 
Twine Technical Manager. That sounds like a very interesting title, and I'm not entirely sure what it means, to be honest with you. Tell us, what what do you do? Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, So I work for Tama uh, Group in North America, where we have four sales companies, uh, two in in Canada and uh, basically two in the United States with some coverage in Canada uh, with one of those sales companies as well. So we have various product lines uh, within the group. Um, We started with NetWrap being our main uh, hand forage product, um, basically east of the Rocky Mountains. Once we uh, developed our business over a number of decades uh, in that uh, market, we decided to focus on uh, heavy baler twine, basically west of the Rockies and then within other regions uh, within North America. Uh, Since that development, we also uh, had the opportunity to purchase the agricultural sector of Brighton Cordage, which is now known as Brighton USA. And so my function is basically to assist uh, our twine product line managers, uh, our R&D department, and our end users with support, uh, with technical support, not only in production, but also with the equipment our product is used in. Now, I've got to admit that I am not a very well-versed person when it comes to hay and haying equipment. All I know is that when that gets done on the farm, I try to be gone that day because it's usually a very hot job. It's a lot of uh, heavy lifting when we're stacking bales. But when it comes to twine, you mentioned something there. You mentioned that you're using heavier or thicker twine in areas out to the West. Why? Why would you use thicker twine or heavier twine? Yeah, so we have a lot of different uh, products in the twine product line and uh, so many more than even net wrap, if you can imagine, um, basically because of the different types of balers that are out there. Um, the Western U.S. is unique in North America, uh, in, in addition to Western Canada, in that many of the uh, balers in those regions are large square balers rather than round balers. So we have different segments of large square balers, uh, starting with some of the older, more original equipment that we would call a standard density baler. And then next uh, in the progression line would be a high density large square baler. And here in the last few years, uh, an ultra density baler has been brought to the market as well. So we need to tailor heavy twines towards that uh, group of machinery. And then in addition to that, we also have medium twines for small square two tie and three tie balers in addition to fine twine, which is also used in round balers. So it's basically dictated by the type of machinery used uh, in regions throughout North North America uh, to, you know, dictate what types of twines that that we work with. I'm curious, I know you spend probably a lot of your time dealing with the product side of the business, but what are we seeing this year as far as hay production goes, you know, especially as we continue to hear stories from ranchers and farmers out west with dry, dry weather. We're starting to hear, you know, wildfires. We just reported a story the other day of one in North Carolina of all places. So what are you hearing as far as forage goes for this year? Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, uh, the western U.S. has been hit with drought pretty hard. Um, But recently this spring, you know, some areas have received some moisture. um, But 
across the board, the story is that it's fairly dry and water is hard to come by for irrigation out here. So, you know, the number of hay acres are definitely down uh, in in comparison to uh, past years, but the, you know, commodities across the board are up as you're seeing across the nation. So some areas, uh, acres are down because of the drought and those areas that aren't as impacted by the drought, uh, we're actually seeing an increase in some numbers of hay acres. So um, it's it's looking positive in some areas and maybe not so positive in others. I noticed on your website that you've you've shared some not you personally, but the company has shared some really neat photos looking at the history of the company and just the different changes in technology that we've seen for the haying industry. What are some things that are coming down the horizon, in your opinion, to help improve hay production in the United States? Yeah, so since we produce uh, one of the most vital products uh, for making hay and forage products in North America, uh, the the previous method of producing a stronger, more durable twine, or even net wrap for that matter, has always been increasing the, the basically density of the product. So for a twine, we would be talking about the density or runnage of the twine. For the net wrap, we would be talking about the grams per meter. Uh, now we're working on some really interesting technology that's allowing us to reduce the plastic weight or reduce the diameter of twine or reduce the density of the net wrap to be able to produce a a lighter product, but just as strong or in some cases, stronger product. And what that can do for the end user in the field is increase efficiency, um, less stops uh, and, and more uptime during the season while bailing and also reduce plastic waste in the market. So it's some really exciting manufacturing technology that we're working with to, to try to produce just a better product, not only for the farmer in the field, but also for the environment. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about what is it made of since it is environmentally uh, sustainable. Yeah, so Baylor Twine is almost 100% polypropylene, whereas NetWrap uh, is almost 100% polyethylene. So both of those products are, you know, widely used in the consumer market. We deal with those plastics every day in our lives. And it doesn't mean that agricultural plastics can't be recycled. So we have been working actually with uh, numerous collection schemes and recyclers throughout the globe. Uh, one other exciting project we're working on is in Europe uh, with a partnership uh, with a startup recycling uh, operation that's been processing Baylor twine for us and is working on recycling net wrap. Uh, so we can use that recycled material that we call PCR or post-consumer resin back into our products for reuse. So essentially closing the loop in uh, the, the, the cycle of, of our end of life products. It's a really exciting project. Well, I feel like I've learned a lot during this interview today, and I appreciate your time joining us, Matthew. If our listeners have questions, I, I did notice I was poking around the website a little bit while we've been talking, and it's really cool. You have on your homepage, you can go in basically and kind of pick your path on what bailing twine might work best for your operation. thought that was a cool little tool there to choose your right twine, but if our listeners have questions, want to 
test out which twine is best for their operation and find out more information, where can they head? Yeah, absolutely. So you can visit our uh, Bryden website at bryden-usa.com. You can also visit our TAMA website at tama-usa.com, where you can find various resources, um, not only for twine and net wrap, uh, but we also distribute uh, silage bags, uh, silage film, bunker covers, uh, and some other ancillary products. So definitely check out those websites. Uh, Feel free to give us a call, send us an email, um, and reach out with any questions you might have. Fantastic, Matthew. Well, thanks again for joining today. Certainly appreciate your insight. You bet. Thank you, Delaney. Well, again, a big thank you there to Matthew and to our listeners. I am not as advanced probably in my hay knowledge as I should be. Tanner is probably the co-host that knows a little bit more in that sector of the industry. So thanks for bearing with me. But I feel like I learned some new things today. So I hope all of you did as well. Join us tomorrow for another fantastic episode before we kick y'all out for the weekend. With that, we'll see you right back here tomorrow.